welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to have uh, my good friend Chris Broyho with me. Chris is the uh, the the founder and CEO of uh, the AirComp Calculator. He uh, he tracks uh, and is the industry expert for pilot compensation, both on the commercial side and on the business aviation side. Uh, he is a Falcon 900 uh, corporate pilot as well. Uh, stays very active in that. And uh, if you ever get a chance to read his books, um, they are fantastic. They have all the uh, uh, all the makings, a little bit of drinking, a little bit of flying, all the good stuff that everybody wants to read about in a fiction book. So uh, thanks for coming on, Chris. Uh, great to be here. Uh, appreciate you being here today. So, Thank you. So I love looking at your stuff and you and I are kind of aligned uh, the world is going mad with regards to pilots. There's a shortage. Um, you know, everybody, the, the salaries are going up. The contracts are getting pretty wild. It's affecting everything from the commercial airlines to the regional airlines to the business jet operators. Is this the new normal? Tell, you know, let's talk about it a little bit. Yeah. And how did we get here? Yeah, and and I I enjoyed the the post you made. On LinkedIn, I, I about the fact that it's a, a, a problem that's been 25 years or so in the making. I mean, if I, the majority of the pilots in the past um, are guys like you and me that came from the airlines, and, or excuse me, came from the military services. Military services, particularly during the Cold War, were cranking out pilots left and right, and those they couldn't keep them all, so those pilots were separating from the service and going, you know, into the airlines. I remember when I was flying the A10 at Bentwaters, I was a captain. Um, so at the end of the Cold War, late 80s, and the Air Force was instituting a bonus program to pay people to stay in. They figured if they could pay you to from that eight-year to 14-year point where you would get promoted to major, then you'd stay in because of the pension waiting you at 20 years. They figured that was like the crucial bridge. So they're offering you money. And at that time, I think it was like $75,000, which yeah. 1980s, early 90s, that's a lot of money. It was a lot of money. And was a lot of money. Then, then later on, as I stayed in the Air Force, they start. They started offering what we used to call old guy bonuses. If you'd have people getting out as late as 15, 16, 17 years to go fly for the airline. So they had to start paying to keep the old guys in as well because they needed uh, pilots to, to fill cockpits there as well. And part of it, I think, was a recognition of, of the investment they made. I mean, we we talk often about the training costs in business aviation, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to those in a few minutes. But when I was flying uh, fighters in the Air Force, it took about $6 million to take somebody off the street, put them through pilot training, put them through advanced flight training, and then put them through a basic course in a fighter and get a mission ready. It's about $6 million in the account range cost. Somebody came up with that number. I, I don't I don't know if it had any credence or not, but the bottom line is a lot of money. The Air Force was trying to you know, maintain an ROI on their investment by paying a little more to keep people in. But anyway, now that the Cold War is, has gone down and now that the military services are downsizing, they're not generating near the amount of pilots that go into the civilian corps anymore as they used to be. And not only that, but the, you know, for a long period of time, uh, as you alluded to in, in what you wrote, the regional airlines, which was typically somebody's first step into airline life, they were going to go through a regional airline. The uh, wages they were paying were just garbage. So I remember when I was flying, my, I was newly into business aviation, just a couple of years, I was flying a Falcon or excuse me, a, a Hawker, and we took a client to Orlando and we're going to take him back that night. So the, my co-pilot and I were having dinner in an Outback Steakhouse. Come to find out the waitress that was taking care of us was a first officer for one of the regional airlines. And she had to work as a waitress 
in addition to her pilot job to be able to make ends meet. And then you had to pay for your training. That's right. So, right. so this whole thing has been a long time in the making. And now we're, we're getting to a point. And also, I, I also tell you, when I was uh, getting ready to leave the Air Force, I was at Luke Air Force Base flying the F-16. And a lot of my uh, coworkers were getting out of the Air Force and going to fly for Southwest because they had a big Southwest contingent in Phoenix is, is where Luke Air Force Base is at the time. And they all had to buy their own 737 type. To even get hired by Southwest, they had to pay for their own 737 type. I remember that. So, so, and now, of course, the airlines are paying for everything, and yeah. it, it's 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 a whole different world. But this whole this has been like a slowly, whatever the inverse of an avalanche is. But it's like I guess the foundation has been slowly buckling underneath the whole time now, and and now we're we're seeing it almost in freefall. So we discussed before you started recording, um, Delta just accepted the pilots accepted a 34% pay raise to their already you know high wages uh, american ceo has offered them a 40% pay raise uh, now the american pilots are saying we need to see a little more than promises mr ceo or we're going to strike on you but if we're talking those kind of wages you know it, it, they will have invariably an effect on the compensation that we have to pay our folks in business aviation particularly on the pilot side they will invariably have an effect yeah, the uh, the interesting thing is I spoke at Corporate Jet Investor, 2015, uh -huh. 2016, somewhere back then. And I sat there and I put the demographics up. You know, the you know, how many pilots were retiring, what the pipeline looked like coming up from the bottom, you know, what the military was doing, and basically said, Hey, look, if the airlines have another major upheaval like they did in 9-11, you know, they're gonna have to cut from the top. Because they got to keep, you know, the junior guys, they can't cut the junior men and women out because then they'll have no pipeline for the future. So they're going to have to cut from the top. Right. You know, and the unions are going to have to figure out how to work with it. You know, sure enough, you know, COVID comes along. What happens? You know, yeah. How many pilots retire? How many pilots took the buyouts? Yeah. 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 From COVID. All the Delta 77, you know, triple seven, 300 pilots. Didn't want to go back to, you know, 737. So they're like, yeah, we're out of here. It's interesting. But yeah, this uh, has been something that's truly been, you know, between, between the 80s, you know, 9-11, financial crisis. This is something that has certainly been in the making for a long time. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely, I, I definitely think it has been. And it's not going to get fixed anytime soon. The, the barriers to entry uh, for a young man or woman who wants to become a pilot, if they want to do it themselves, you know, you can spend as much getting your ratings in an airplane, you can go into law school or getting a medical degree. You know, we're talking well over $100,000 for sure. And it, in some cases, depending on the equipment that you use, it can be over $200,000. And then you've got to get an ROI back on that, you know, pretty quickly. However, used to be that you couldn't do that. And now I, I drive around the DFW area and I see signs for PSA Airlines on billboards. Come fly for us. I, I get... I get little cards in the mail. Here's our starting pay. Come fly for us from various various airlines. In your LinkedIn feed, you're seeing Southwest regularly has ads in the LinkedIn in LinkedIn feed. Alaska Airlines has ads. The regionals regularly have ads. When have we ever seen this before? It used to be to get into the airlines, it was like a kind of a, I don't want to say it was like a secret, but it was kind of arcane. You kind of had to know somebody. You had to kind of find your way in. There were people who specialized in, in getting you through the door or at least getting your resume looked at or whatever. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, they're in your face. We need you. Come to us. And that's uh, that's certainly 
not the way it's been in the past. And, and I suspect it's the way it's going to be for the foreseeable future. And, and I don't I don't see with the retirements um, that are looming on the horizon. Uh, I don't see it changing anytime soon unless we have some sort of a people. I mean, unless, you know, you know, something really bad happens, which can, you know, that's always something you're betting on, but, but you got to fight the near rocks. You have to. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always something that's looming, some sort of economic, you know, upheaval, you know, whatever COVID comes along, but yeah, the way I look at it is, um, yeah, I talked to, I got Marine Corps station, new river, you know, the, uh, the V 22 training squadron is 45 minutes North of me. Oh, wow. Okay. One of their instructors, you have, you know, V 22 has just got, he, 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 he got an offer from, a southwestern american both wow and he's like wow. which one do i which one do i take i'm like yeah the one that makes you feel the best because at the <laughs> end of the day it's all you know it's all rockwell collins you know honeywell cockpits are all very okay. nice. <laughs> the difference in a triple seven and a seven eight seven right now or so you got to go with one that you know matches your culture well it's, it's funny um, and, and, and what i do for a living you know people will come to me they're aviation managers or individuals and they'll say you know, what are the applicable wages for this position at this location, flying this class of airplane? And I, I give them those numbers. Um, but of late, I've had more people come to me say, I've got an offer letter from Southwest. Here's what I'm making it now. Should I stay or should I go? And I've actually done those services. People. A couple of times I said, yeah, if, if, they can, if they're not going to change your comp, you either need to change jobs or tick, tick the offer and go to the airlines. I can't tell you to stay in business aviation when, you know, we all have, and this guy was in his early 50s. He's, he's going to make the jump to Southwest Airlines in his early 50s because it just made sense. I knew a guy not too long ago who was in his 50s who made the jump to FedEx because it just made economic sense. He's looking at his remaining earning years and saying, in the amount of time I've got left, it's financially irresponsible of me not to go to the airlines because I can make so much more money going there than I will staying in my current business aviation job. Mm -hmm. So he did. And, and that's going to be something that I think aviation managers and compensation professionals uh, throughout the U.S., you're going to have to step up to. Now you've got you've got your cadre of people who, uh, like me, I had the choice to go to the airlines when I left the Air Force in 2001, and the airlines just seemed really boring to me, and they still seem really boring to me. I, I've enjoyed being in business aviation. I love kind of being my own boss in the cockpit and all that sort of thing. Um, and I, I couldn't do that if I was in the airlines. So I've got no regrets about never choosing uh, the airlines. And there's a lot of people like me in business aviation who just love the personal nature of it love the dynamic nature of it and, and wouldn't want to do anything else. But there's a heck of a lot of people that are, you know, have to, you know, examine what's the most responsible thing they can do for their families and telling your spouse that, no, I'm going to stay in this job because I like it versus go to this job here, which is still a flying job. And I can make mm -hmm. you know two or three times the money. Uh, it's just, it becomes an easy choice. Yeah. yeah I just, you know, look, I just placed cheap pilot, three small, three small jets. Mm-hmm. They're paying them well. I mean, he was an Air Force guy. Good. Retiring Air Force guy. And, you know, but he had some G5 time. And we placed him as a chief pilot to go run three airplanes. And the cop was, hey, look, if you go to the airlines, it's going to take you a long time to, mm -hmm. you know, get to where we're starting you. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if you think about, you know, you know that. And I suspect that those conversations – at least with 91 operators that are running flight departments, they're gonna, yeah, they're 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 smartening up and they're saying, hey, these these fellas who and ladies who fly our jets are, you know, valued, you know, they're valued employees. 
that we need and they're expensive to replace. So let's just pay them what we need to be competitive to keep them here for the long haul. That that that's the sensible sensible approach. Um, it is interesting, however, to see organizations or individuals who um, who are un- unwilling to do that and, and suffer accordingly. I, I one of the things I tell people because I do when I do compensation studies for flight departments and organizations, I map out what a pilot's comp is versus the three majors. I do Delta, I do Southwest, and I do FedEx. And I show where their pay line intersects a notional career in the airlines. And of course, you have to make a lot of assumptions when you draw those graphs. But where where their pay would intersect and how long it, A, takes them to, to get back to the comp level they have now, and then B, how long it's going to take them to make back all the money they lost in the transition by taking the job. Mm-hmm. And all what I tell people is you will never pay what the airlines can pay. What you can do, though, is 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 create uncertainty by widening that gap between how long it takes them to get back what they're making now and how long it's going to take them to make their money back. So if you've got somebody, for example, that is kids in middle school and they're looking at having to send them to college here in about four or five, six years, that uncertainty is going to play into the equation. And they're going to say, well, I don't would kind of like to do the airline thing, but I, I can't take the pay cut in the meantime, you know, to to mm-hmm. get there because we're going to be having to pay for college at you know this particular uh, time frame. So that's all you can do. I will tell you that the, one of the things, my greatest frustrations has been, uh, I'm in the data business and I don't have, I'm a statistician and, and I, I don't have any dog in the fight about mm-hmm. whether people are paid more or less. There's, there's a CEO of one of the major management companies that has jumped up and now Broyhill's out there trying to get pilots more money. And, and, and I, I'm not really, I'm just presenting what the data what the data says. But it is amazing to me when you show people this data and you show people airline maps, there's about where their pilots are going to leave. What I use a pun. I say their flight risks to the airlines are, but it is amazing how people will cross their arms and not believe it. And they end up losing people as a result. And they go, gosh, how did that happen? And it's like, well, because, you know, they can either, you know, make more money down, down the street or they can make more money flying for the airlines. And that's why when people say, you know, we don't have an airline problem here. Our people never go to the airlines. They go to another operator. I say, you've got an airline problem because the reason that other operators losing people is they're going mm-hmm. to the airlines. Mm-hmm. So we've all got an airline problem. It's just a question of whether it's direct or indirect. We've all got it. And the way you keep your people around is, you know, it's those three pillars I always talk about retention-wise. It's the quality of life you give them. Can they predict mm-hmm. their lives? It's the compensation you give them. And it's the it's the uh, organizational culture. Do they, do, they, do they like coming to work? And, and who they work with and who they work for. Yep. Yeah. Okay. No. Look, I, 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 you know, I have the same conversation with companies all the time. It's like, yeah, they get into the comp thing, and you know, they, 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 you know, the CFOs drive me nuts because they, they, the, the, on the business jet side of the house, they break it down by, yeah, how much does this cost us per hour? Yeah. And then it's like, dude, look, you're, a, you're a, you know, a billion dollar company, and you got two jets that are costing you three million dollars a year to operate. You know, including pilots, capital, FBOs, fuel, insurance. It's six million bucks out of a billion. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's a rounding error, right? I wrote a thing on in defense back in the day when GE was shutting down their flight department, you know, in defense of GE's jets. You know, you got yeah. a high profile, you have a high profile CEO. You know, you're not going to put them on the airline, you know, a Bezos or a, a Larry Fink or a, a Larry Culp or somebody like that. You're not going to put them on an airliner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and send them to wherever you want to go. So, you know, just eat, you know, just quit trying to make sense out of something that's 
you know, a little bit more, a, a little bit more subjective than objective. One of the one of the um, papers I wrote uh, when I was getting my PhD was talking about it did a comparison time value wise, you know, between the airlines and value of executives, how much they're paid, what's their time worth per hour, blah 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 blah. And I quoted an article. I wish I I had it in front of me, um, but basically it was this guy who was writing an editorial in favor of jets, of corporate jets, and he said, basically, here's the CEO of this this fund that I invest in. You know, I, I don't, I don't need you spending two year hours cooling your heels in the departure lounge here, you know, waiting for your airplane or in your possibly canceled flight. I need you to get to where you're going and do business to make me money. Mm -hmm. and, and it's all, it's all about the time. And when you put a price on the time, you can't, you can't compare it. My next door neighbor in my office building is private equity in the med devices calls me up from LaGuardia. My flight got canceled. My other flight got canceled. My third flight got canceled. They're telling me I can't get out till Wednesday. Yeah this, yeah, this is Sunday. What do I do? Buy a jet. <laughs> Buy a jet. There you go. You can afford it. Get a card. You can certainly afford it. So here's my issue, though. I mean, this is the whole infrastructure is changing. You got the majors, which are sucking it up. They're mm -hmm. they're 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 you know, they're going to raise prices. They're getting what they they're paying what they need to pay. But you got the regionals in there that can't afford to do that. Well, the regionals are offering direct entry captain positions now in a lot of cases and starting people off at like 200 grand. I mean, so that that's that's a heck of a lot more, like several orders of magnitude more than they used to pay. Right. So I think they're making, the reason the regionals are scary is because in business aviation, you know, we used to be in business aviation. Remember when I first got out of the Air Force and was trying to find a job and I was a fighter guy. So you don't get out of the Air Force. You don't get out of flying fighters a whole lot of time. You get I think mm -hmm. I had like 3,500 total time, something like that. I couldn't get a business aviation flight department to look at me. Oh, we need at least 5,000 hours. And you need you know, this and that, and blah, 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 blah. Well, now the code is finally broken in business aviation that we're going to try to go after the younger crowd. We're going to try to entice them into our industry. But the regionals are going to suck all those younger people up. And that's what mm -hmm. they're trying to do. And all the regionals say, come here, fly for us for a few years. We offer you a guaranteed interview at American, whatever their feeder, mm -hmm. you know, they are feeder for. And so the regionals are sucking all the younger people up and the majors are sucking up all the more experienced people. And it's a battle in the trenches to see if we can, you know, maintain the pilot force we need to maintain to keep the industry moving. Yeah. I, the people that I think have the biggest dog in the fight and are looking the other way are the OEMs. Gulfstream, Falcon Jet, Textron, Bombardier. Yeah. And the way I'm like, hey, look, you got the dog in the fight is you guys want to keep selling business jets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to keep selling business jets, you've got to figure out the flight training thing. Well, you know, the interesting thing is they're uh, oftentimes their demonstration to turning our, uh, you know, revolving doors also because they yep. work those men and women really hard and they don't pay them very well. In fact, some of my clients that I advise are people that uh, are on the demo teams for the OEMs and, and are test pilots for the OEMs also. And they basically have come to me and say, this is what they're paying me. You know, is it is it right? And usually nine times out of ten, nope, it's not. You are low, and mm -hmm. the OEMs aren't interested in paying more to maintain the people. It, that's kind of a specialized job. And uh, one of the OEMs a, a few years ago called me in to do a complete uh, compensation review of not only their demo department but their 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 test yep. department as well. And they were in different different locations. And in both cases, they were way low and had lost people. Fortunately, the results I gave them enabled them to, to increase their compensation accordingly, and they were able to retain and even attract back a few folks after they had done that. But that 
to your point, not only from the, they need to be leading by example there is, I guess is what I'm trying to say related to what you had to say in that they're making business jets. They need to have people, you know, men and women to fly these business jets. They need to be, they have a dog in the compensation fight, whether they know it or not. Yeah, no, I, and I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I think they have a dog in the, Hey, training schools, we got to guarantee a pipeline of pilots. You know, we got to figure out, hey, look, if if the fifteen hundred hour rule is going to stay in place in the United States, which I don't see with all with 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 seven near incursions on the uh, with seven near misses on on runways lately, I don't see the fifteen hundred hour rule going away anytime soon. No, no. But at the end of the day, for ninety one, look, a guy with you know, a guy or girl with a thousand hours is probably a very who's been well trained is is a very safe Lear forty five Citation XLS. Pick a yeah, pick absolutely. an airplane, pick an airplane absolutely. pilot. They are very safe. You know, I think the OEMs are, you know, it's you start to think of the OEMs going, hey, look, we gotta, we gotta figure out how to start to get, you know, we gotta figure out our own pipeline here. Yeah. Know, because you know, we 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 gotta make sure that if we want to continue to sell these things, yeah, you know, our customers are able to crew. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's I know that some of the airlines, some of the airlines have started their own flight schools doing like ab initio sort of thing, trying to pull people off the street and get them into the airlines. Uh, I've I've said for a long time that this is something that business aviation needs to find a way to do. And, and I don't think, you know, I know the NBAA um, is our main lobbying organization, our main kind of canopy under which we all gather, but I don't think it's something that they would want to have a, a hand in. But we do need to kind of, you need to get some of the bigger flight departments to get together and fund something like this. So at least, A, you've got a common venue for attracting new talent, and then yeah. B, a way to train them. Come work for us. Here's what you'll get. And We'll put you through training. Give us, you know, like the air, like the like the Air Force does. Give us five years of your life after we spend all this money on you. After that, you can go do what you want, but come fly for us. And yep. we are everybody talks about it, but nobody's doing anything. And um, that's that's that could be an OEM led measure as well. Somebody has to start it off. Somebody has to be willing to stand behind it for other people to become a part of it. And nobody is stepping up. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree with. I to me, it's I've been kind of doing a shoulder shrug for a couple of years, thinking Mark Burns, you know, uh, uh, this is kind of on you now to, or at least one of your staff to figure this out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But but nobody's really jumping up and down, going, "Hey, we we got we got the you know we got it," type of deal. What's you know what's the solution? What do you think? Yeah, you know, what are the three things the industry needs to do to get this? Yeah, look, and, and quite frankly, look, I like the fact that pilots are now you know getting paid. There were some rough times for them. Flight safety stepped up in the financial crisis, and they yeah. you know they helped unemployment. They, they guaranteed that pilots who had lost their cockpits could stay current, and they gave them the training. Yeah, and it was a great move on their part. It was yeah nine eleven, which where you had airline get pilots getting laid off for mm-hmm. six seven years. Yeah, so I'm I'm happy to see that you know now they're at a time in their life where they've got some economic stability. Good, and I think it's going to be that way for the foreseeable future. As far as I think our industry, and this is something that I, I I'm working on a part of a working group uh, to do. We need to be very aggressive in reaching out to younger people and trying to attract them to business aviation. Uh, you know, you go to, some people will go to Embry-Riddle University and from the day they walk through the door, one major airline or another has got their number and said, come work for us. You can, they've got, they've some kind of arrangement they already have with this person. You're, we'll, we'll get you in. We need to be equally aggressive. And, and 
to our, you know, our, our discussion from a few moments ago, we need to establish some kind of consolidated front that we use to, to project what business aviation is to younger people, to get into the high schools, to get into the middle schools, to get into the vocational schools and say, here's a career path you can pursue. And hey, you know, in the past, it may not have been the best ROI for your, your spending dollar, but now it is. You can make back what you, you know, it might have cost you to go through flight school with more quickly. And additionally, um, we need to have some sort of like consolidated training venue where we're willing, like the armed services do and, and like the airlines have done, so we can bring you know, people in through the door and, and, and mm -hmm. get them trained and get them out there. The other piece of this puzzle, and it's it's when we talk about pilots and the amount of money pilots are making, the thing that's in the background, and I know you've written on it, uh, that's a kind of a corollary to this is we're in a you know pilot shortage, but we're also in a mechanic shortage. Yeah. And that's that's can break the industry as quickly as as the pilot shortage can. And, and I think when if we're going to address pilots as we should, we also need to be looking at, you know, mechanics, um, mm -hmm. technicians who will find um, business. I think technicians like business aviation better because they've got more independence. They can troubleshoot things. They're not so locked into a single job function as they are in the airlines. And uh, you don't see a mass exodus of technicians from business aviation to the airlines. You see some, but the majority of them just go from operator to operator. Yeah. Who wants to work third shift? Yeah. You, know, you think about, exactly. you, know, you think about who wants to work third shift in Tulsa when the, you know, the airplanes are flying during the day, they're being maintained at night, right? Who wants to be working from, you know, nine, nine at night till nine in the morning or you know, seven at night till seven in the morning. You know, that's the struggle where, you know, standard arrow, it's like, Hey, look, yeah, we'll work two shifts. Yeah, exactly. you know, and you're you're working on some cool equipment, and it's it's two shifts. And but somebody told me the biggest employer of AMPs out in California was Disney. Really? Because yeah, like yeah, because they they can yeah they can fix rides. Oh, you know, that's right. Yeah, I've, I've heard that as well. You yes, think yes. about you think about like hey, they can go out there and they can go they can go, if they can fix an airplane, they can go fix Dumbo. Um, <laughs> type of deal. Um, that's yeah, that's a big issue. Thirty percent yeah. of the people that finish AMP school never go to work on an airplane. They oh, get poached somewhere else. At oil fields, we're poaching them. So it's yeah. uh, it's a, uh, yeah, that's an interesting dilemma too. Um, it is. It is. What do what do we do? What do we do to become the employer of choice again? I'll I'll, well, I'll tell you one thing. It's not. It, it's not. I, I think one of the things uh, about business aviation that we get very staid in. For example, the airplane I'm flying right now. There's only two pilots on. Uh, that's a model that I consistently advise people not to follow. Because when you only have two pilots on an airplane, now these people don't fly very much. They're very nice, blah, 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 blah. But we are going to have to cycle away from the model of what is the minimum staffing to keep an airplane in the air. And the people that are advising people to buy airplanes and operate airplanes need to be a lot more forceful about the fact that, you know, if you don't give these people a quality of life, if you don't pay them adequately and give them a good quality of life, mm -hmm. Give them a good working environment. They're going to find somewhere where they can find that. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It's probably right down the street. So mm -hmm. if it's not, you know, where the airlines are, uh, you know, back to our earlier discussion. But I think we're just going to have to break a lot of the paradigms that we have in business aviation about the way aircraft are operated if we want to retain the people we want to retain, both on the pilot and and the mechanic side. Yeah. No, I totally look. I totally agree with you. I mean, look, the the E two Hawkeye you see on my. Wall behind us, you know. Look, uh, uh, this is always the struggle I have. The people who are flying E two Hawkeyes, you know, are are hitting their squadrons with three hundred hours, three hundred fifty hours. They're becoming aircraft commanders, 
with six to 700 hours and are landing on aircraft carriers and they're doing it very safely. Yeah, exactly. The 1500 hour rule, uh, you know, look, as much as I agree with it, I disagree with a lot of it as well, because I think that, you know, it's less hours and more, it has less to do with hours and more to do with training. I think it's, it's a, it's a function of the quality of the hours, not so much the quantity of them. Exactly. And then the, the quality of life thing, you know, that's the reason, you know, people quit flying in the military is I like, hey, look, we're gone. We, we, we're gone. We're gone all the time. Nobody wants to be attracted to a beeper. Yeah, exactly. So I'm with you. It's quality of you know, pay is one thing. Quality of life is another. Um, it's the business of running an airplane. Yes. And the CFO has got to realize that, you know, look, it's, it's more, you know, it's more objective than it is subjective and you just have to be, or what's is, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's more touchy feely. You have to look at it. You have to look at it as a productive asset versus, Hey, this thing's just, you know, burning a hole in my books. Yeah. No, no, I love the conversation today. Are we on this trend for forevermore? Is this a new thing? Um, Difficult to predict. I think, um, as you know, if I could tell the future, I could make millions of dollars. Um, it, it's, I think it's it's for the foreseeable future, unless some kind of event occurs that derails it from all the stuff that's going on in the world today. Just pick one that gets out of control. Who knows? For the foreseeable future, I think it stays on course. Do you think we're ever going to see single pilot commercial aircraft? I hope not. I would like to think that you know we're smarter than that, um, but I'm, I'm not sure we are. I think we will see pilot less. Hardware aircraft at some point. Yep. If I'm Fred Smith and I can make all my labor costs go away by a capital investment, boom, I'm going to do it. Although I do know that in response to the pilots unions, Boeing is pushing back on any demands to automate their cockpits. So I know that internal tension is going on. I, I don't think it can last because it just make it makes sense to automate the cockpits of cargo airplanes because they're carrying cargo. Now yep. passengers, you know it. Took some conditioning, but now we get into elevators without operators. We get into trams without drivers. We get into trains without drivers. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying people eventually just say, huh, they're talking about the urban air mobility. They're talking about all those things operating pilotless eventually. And it gives me the heebie-jeebies, but I'm an old guy. And so, you know, and I'm not as adaptable as the younger folks are. So I, I don't know. I think you could talk about a lot of stuff. Yeah. In my humble opinion, we're a long way away from it. Yeah. Cargo, maybe. You know, I don't see a heavy, I don't see a 767 with FedEx on the side of it flying without it, you know, without a crew. You got millions of dollars worth of stuff in that. The insurance companies may have a uh the the people insuring that airplane and all its cargo may have a different opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, so, you know, that's one thing to deal with. And two, you yeah. know, I think about, you know, you've got, you know, an American Airlines 787 flying across the country. Um, you know, look, the, the human, the human element, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's there. So I think it's a lot, I think it's a long way. Off. I think we're a long way away from it. Well, I, I, and I hope we are. I hope so. Um, it's not like I, I want any of this to, to happen, but I mean, it just, I, I, you see this continual push, and, and it's to your earlier point about, you know, uh, we've we've had multiple runway incursions, like seven runway incursions or incidents. Yeah. I can't even um, categorize them. Uh, you know, in the last few months, we need more people in the cockpit paying attention, not less. So I agree with you. And the technology is not going to save us from everything. So I totally agree. Hey, Chris, how do people uh, how do people get a hold of you? 
Well, you can, uh, my website is uh, aircompcalculator.com where you can go and see all of the, the products that I can assist your flight department with. My email is drchrisbroyhill at aircompcalculator.com. And anybody's welcome to reach out to so I just, I'll answer compensation questions. You don't necessarily need to buy anything. I'm, I'm here to be a service to the industry. And you're always on LinkedIn. I love you. I love the stuff you post on LinkedIn too. So yeah, thanks. Okay. Yeah, I try to try to stay abreast of stuff and kind of rile people up a little bit about compensation stuff when I can. <laughs> Chris, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it today. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pickett.